You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. As always, I'm your host, Ben Wolf. Happy to have you here today. And we are going to learn from our guest today what is a fractional chief operating officer? So, looking forward to that. And uh, I remind everyone who is watching or listening now to subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching this, whether that's YouTube. And if it's YouTube, make sure to uh, click on that, you know, always remind me button on the bell uh, so that you always get the notifications. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, please make sure to leave a review. It definitely would help get this out there to more people and uh, would help me out. Make sure to keep getting the message out because you know a lot more people are listening to the show recently and would like to keep up that trend and get the value that we're sharing here out to more people. Uh, and with that, I want to get on to introducing our guest today, who is an outsourced chief operating officer or fractional chief operating officer th- uh, at several companies through his company, Verdant Partners, uh, in the D- Detroit, Michigan area and anywhere for his remote clients. Uh, he previously has spent many years as a general manager and president at several organizations. He was a senior consultant at PwC and Arthur Anderson. For those who remember Arthur Anderson. Uh, and uh, you can find out more about him at kentrupke.com. That's Ken Trupke, T-R-U-P-K-E.com. Uh, and with that, I give you Ken Trupke. Welcome, Ken. Hey, good morning, Ben. Thanks for having me. My pleasure and happy that you could make it on today. And uh, you know, so I want to start off with asking you if you could please uh, give me and our watchers and listeners a, uh, a quick like two-minute background on, you know, kind of so people have some context for like what you're, what you're doing now, where that came from, how you got here. And just so we have a little context to under, understand, understand you and what and the stuff you're sharing a little bit better. Sure, sure, thanks. So I grew up in Milwaukee and worked for, as you said, Arthur Anderson and Price Waterhouse, uh, things that used to be things. Uh, as a yeah. consultant, never, never as an accountant, uh, and not that smart, but it was the dawn of kind of business process reengineering and what's kind of transformed into lean now. And so I got to see a lot of different companies and we were implementing inventory systems and updating accounting systems was kind of the time of uh, people moving off mainframes and uh, other mm-hmm. systems to PCs. And so I got to see a lot of co- companies and I started to realize that I was really curious about how things are made, that process, uh, regardless of the business, regardless of the industry, just how things get done really interested me. And so one of the uh, partners left, Arthur Anderson, as people do, move up or out, and yeah. bought a company in Michigan, uh, an injection molding company, and brought me over to do that same kind of consulting, that, that lean manufacturing process improvement stuff. And I started to realize that it takes people to get things done. And so I started getting really interested in leadership and it's not the systems and the technology that's uh-huh. necessary, but not sufficient. And you really gotta get people to move these things along. And so I started to aspire to getting a little bit more uh, span of uh, authority than beyond uh, just the system stuff. And right. so ended up being general manager for a stretch and then ultimately president at that company. So what was supposed wow. to be a two-year engagement turned into 14. We ended up selling it. I stayed on in transition for a couple of years uh, and, then, and then popped up and realized that I didn't really, didn't really know anyone in Michigan because I'd been heads down. I knew my customers. I knew my suppliers. I knew my team, but uh-huh. I, I hadn't really spent time anywhere else. And so just started uh, really investing in networking and making connections. And that led to what- And why were you doing that? Were you still at the company then? No, I had left. Okay. Left. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in, after the transition to the new ownership, uh, spent two years in transition with them 
and then decided it was time to to move on to the next thing. It had been 14 years, so I figured right. my two two year sentence was up at that point. Uh, so and it actually had sounds like Jean Valjean. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so then that that led to a series of what became kind of fractional uh, COO, CEO, but just executive interim executive positions. Right. And that's uh, taken me to where I am now. Right. That's, that's really interesting. And obviously, I, you know, I'm hoping that we can get a lot more focused and dive down a lot deeper into those kind of people, things that really caught your interest. And, you know, sure. we realized was even more key than some of the technical process stuff that, that you had started off with. Um, but before, before I do that, I want to like, I want to just like get a picture painted so people can see themselves like the kinds of places that are bringing you in. Like, why are they bringing in you in as a fractional chief operating officer, COO, part-time COO, interim COO, whatever they call it. Why are they, why are they bringing you in? What are the, what is the pains that they're having? What are their problems? What are their scenarios? So that people can maybe see themselves and like, you know, where does this fit in? When is this a solution? Sure. Great question. So typically, for an interim or a fractional thing, it's because they're not big enough to afford it. So in a lot of the businesses that I've worked with, the, the owner is the founder and he started yeah. it. And now it's gotten to a point that he, his span of control is too broad and the business is really limited by his ability to touch everything. And he hasn't maybe brought on that, that second in command or that mm -hmm. good operating person. And typically those, those owner operator founder types, they're visionaries. You know, she had an idea and, took it and ran with it and really enjoys the customer interaction, but not so much the day-to-day -day operations. And now yeah. it's gotten big enough that you really need somebody in there. And so if they're, I, I've worked with companies that the, the founder as somebody else bought them, sold, sold an interest and now is a minority partner and he's just not the right fit anymore. And now the majority owner, maybe a private equity company or family office just doesn't see them as a fit for where they want to take the company. Mm -hmm. And so they'll bring me in as an mm -hmm. interim person. I've done that. Uh, sometimes there's no succession plan. They just didn't kind of see this coming. They've grown and grown. And now they said, Hey, we're big enough, but we don't have anybody. We need to find somebody to come in. And then you know what, meaning that, meaning that the owner wants to retire or sell no, or what do you mean succession to, plan? Owner wants to, you have to continue to grow it more, mm -hmm. but not have to be in on the day to day. And so a succession to somebody who can take over that operations part, because the owners typically she's operating as well as selling and, and being the face of the business. Right. So now, they don't, they, they can't do both. So they got to really divide their time and their interest and talent set lies in that outside facing role. And they need somebody on that inside facing role. And so right. they'll bring me in to put those systems and structures in place. And then maybe there's somebody on the team that you can groom into that spot, or maybe they need to find somebody full time once that's built. Uh, right. there's a diff you know, as you know, there's a difference between building and operating. And so to come in and help them build a system and structure for a COO or general manager to be successful, we can do that. Once that's set, then they can bring somebody in. But to bring somebody in to kind of chaos and expect them to build it and then run it, that's a tall order. So right. Not always the same person that's right for both, you mean? Absolutely. So, and then sometimes there's just somebody that just left. You know, so they had somebody and they left and they need somebody in here to just hold down the fort while they do their search and find somebody. So those are kind of the typical reasons, but maybe the more interesting ones are, are some other kind of projects I've been on and, and those fall into a couple categories. And one uh -huh. is somebody's unhappy. They're just unfulfilled. Again, that, that owner, founder, she started the business with this vision of 
of freedom and lifestyle and interacting with customers and, and building and growing and selling and doing all the things that she really enjoys. And now she's bogged down with people things. And it's just gotten bigger than she wants to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, they started it because they loved it. And now there's all these problems. Right. And so, uh, you know, you think of like a, a Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg or Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. A lot of times in big companies, there's that visionary starter, not that Steve, uh, Steve, uh, uh, Bill Gates didn't program, but he had Ballmer to block and tackle and run the operations once it got to scale. Right. And so it's very common to have that visionary versus integrator kind of duality. Uh, and so it gets to a point that they right. just can't And you're it. using that EOS terminology. I know you're familiar yeah. with EOS. And sure. Yeah, and that's, right, exactly. that's great. Yeah, and if people are familiar with that, that that's a really good, that's really good language to help clarify what we're talking about, that the, the founder is typically the visionary and what they really need is that integrator. Uh, so another, so the unhappy, unfulfilled is a reason to bring somebody in and they just right. realize that this isn't working. Uh, another one where I brought in a number of times is poor performance. So it might be steady drop in performance. I had a client that, that just neglected their business for over 10 years. It was a father-son team. The father had started it in the 70s, his manufacturing company here in Michigan. Uh -huh. And they had done really, really well you know, the 80s and 90s were, were great times, high times in U.S. manufacturing. Right. Uh, you know, the supply chain was all here. We were all here. It was great. Uh, the phone rang. Well, they kept thinking the phone was going to continue to ring into the 2000s. And as you know, the Internet, China and Mexico really changed all that. Yeah. So they just hadn't reinvested in the people or the equipment or training or really anything. They're just kind of living on their past. Right. And the business was slowly declining. And so that was a, a wake up call. Uh, to, to come in and say, hey, this isn't going like, they're looking to transition from the father to the son. And the son's looking around and say, I, I, I only, I've only seen you when it was the high high season. And now right. that things are, I, I don't know how to do this differently. So well, what did you, what there. did you do? What did you do there when you came in? Uh, we brought, came in and uh, really worked on uh, first the immediate problems. They needed sales uh, and they needed to rethink investment. They needed to think about what do we got to do to turn this equipment over and what investments do we want to make in upgrading our equipment and mm -hmm. our processes the, the, in this situation, the process that they had made their living on had really left them behind the, the, the industry had evolved beyond them and the right. way they were making the product wasn't kind of the current way of making product. And so they needed to decide, are we going to continue to play in this kind of uh, old place and, and pick up the work that's still like that? Or do we want to start moving into the, the newer things that, that required some investment? Uh, people, they had a lot of people that had been there a long time. You know, people would say, I've been here 15 years. And I'm like, well, you really, you really, I wouldn't say this to their face, but really they'd been there one year, 15 times because they just hadn't, <laughs> they hadn't evolved. Uh -huh. They hadn't learned. They hadn't grown. And that's not on them. That's on the company for not investing in them and training them and developing them. But it was the right. same equipment doing the same process the same way for 15 years. So, yeah. Right. Uh, so we really needed to get our head around where do we want to go? And that started to lead into you know, some core purpose, Jim Collins kind of stuff, core purpose uh, and core values. What are we really trying to do here? And that was time spent with the son because it was going to be his company. Right. And, ultimately. And, and then what does that mean in terms of investment in people and equipment and facilities and who do we want as customers? Just all that kind of stuff. So that's right. kind of a steady decline story. Right. I also, I also had a client that had a sudden decline. Uh, it was about a $12 million manufacturer. And within the span of four weeks, they lost $4 million of sales. They had two $2 million projects that got pulled, totally unrelated, different stories in each scenario. 
but within four weeks, they went from 12 to eight. And the problem wow. was that the eight that they kept was not great. It turned out that the four was really profitable work and it was covering a lot of sins. And so not only right. had their sales dropped and so they've got this fixed cost coverage issue, but on a variable basis, it wasn't good either. And so that's something that's you know, a wake up call to say, hey, we gotta, we gotta think and think quickly about doing things differently. Right. And so in that case, it was really about triage and, and where can we cut? You're not gonna save your way to profitability, but you can definitely throw some ballast off in the interim. And so that's what we worked on doing. And then just tried to write the ship, you know, cash flow statements were an important piece of that one early on. Let's just make sure we've got money and we know where it is. They hadn't really paid attention to that. Right. Kind of doing well. Uh, so, so that drop could be sudden. So it could be a steady drop. It could be a sudden drop. A lot of people kind of, know those sudden drops recently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. COVID COVID's a really good example of where the unexpected happens and suddenly your sales uh, fall off and now you got to figure out, well, what are we going to do? Can we pivot? Can we triage and live in the interim? Can we just make sense to shut this thing down? Right. I had a very hard conversation with these guys when I first got there uh, about when, when, because they'd lost such a chunk of their business. Uh, and this was four or five years ago. This wasn't, this wasn't an 08 issue and this wasn't a right. COVID issue. Right. It was just you know, something happened in between there. But we talked about shutting it down. I said, you, know, you, you could just wind this thing down right now. If you're ever going to do that, this is the time. And again, uh, and so, they just didn't want to do that. They, they had a lot of pride. They were, they were it was a classic uh, community town where, the, where they were the industry in that community. And they, mm. you know, that was the, there was the employer that everybody right. worked at. Everybody it was a lot, them. And so a lot bigger were, than just a business. Yeah. So they were really reluctant to step down and wind it down. They really wanted to say, hey, we're, we're part of this community. We owe it to the community ourselves. You know, it was a pride factor there that's justifiable. And they wanted to figure it out. And the good news was they had the money. So it was not only willing, but they were able, uh, you know, if one of those two was missing, if they either didn't want right. to, or they just couldn't for, afford it, well then you got to do something different, but they were willing and able. And to their credit, they made the investment and, wow. and we got it back up. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and, and like bringing somebody like you in or, or a fractional COO, one of these type of things is like you've, you've, you, and, and you have that manufacturing background. I mean, you know, like these examples and, you know, so not only do you have the industry experience, like you've, you've been there, you've seen these things, you've redone operations, I don't know, a, a bunch of times. And so, I mean, the problem you're solving also is just that, yeah, like you said, they've, they, they, they'll maybe be running in the hamster wheel. And also they just haven't done this before. Yeah. They just don't know. Or the right. sun's doing yeah. it. They just never saw it any other way. They just, they yeah. just don't know. So you just yeah. bring in somebody at a lower price point than like hiring somebody full time. And like you point out, the one who's going to run it, not necessarily the one that's going to, you know, be doing it temporarily. So yeah. it's another right, right person, right seat type of thing to maybe say, okay, we need someone on a interim basis for a few quarters or a year or two, you know, build things up, fix things up, and then hand it off to somebody full time. Um, yeah. Yeah. You've been there and you've done that. So yeah. it's just the value of somebody like that, I guess is, yeah. is what I'm seeing. Yeah. In those initial meetings, I make sure that I'm clear that, listen, there's, there's no shame. In fact, the opposite, there's credit to your credit. You recognize the situation and, and sought someone like me to come in and help you, you know, raising your hand to get help is, is, not, is something to be proud of, not to be yeah. embarrassed by, but that's, that can be tough. Cause you know, the, yeah. again, these, you know, the, the owner founder types, uh, you know, have a lot of pride in what they've built and a lot of uh, emotional attachment to it. 
and they want to figure it out because they've always figured it out. And for her right. to raise her hand and say, "Hey, I might need some help here," but nobody's good at everything. Nobody's good absolutely. at everything. Absolutely. So yeah, it's absolutely yeah. not not something to be embarrassed about. But of course, yeah. it is natural, like you say, to feel. Yeah, that way. and as you pointed, yeah, and as you pointed out, it can be a, um, it, it can be just something they haven't done before, and there's no shame in that. Like, you, know, you, just, you didn't see this. I see this all the time. So yeah, how would you know how to do this? So, right. So yeah, so that poor performance is one. Then the last one is just sometimes, and I've been brought in a couple of times on these, there's friction. There's friction between a, a, a couple of situations I've been involved. Well, one was a family, uh, father and a couple of sons. And there's just, they couldn't get along and they couldn't figure it out. And they tried to operate the business, but they kept stepping on each other's toes. Right. And they just needed somebody to come in and kind of referee, but also to, to structure it and, and more objectively and say, hey, here's just a, an org chart with responsibilities and you're going to be in this lane and you're in this lane and we'll meet to make sure we're communicating, but this is how we're going to divide and conquer. And in another case, it was just a, a several partners and unrelated, uh, not family, People, but right. a series of partners. And same thing, they, they were stepping on each other's toes and didn't have a common vision and didn't, didn't know what to do with it. Uh, this was in a, a professional services business, the, the, the family one, uh -huh. and, uh, and in a, a software business in the other. So again, it doesn't matter the industry. These are common problems in yeah, sure. business. Right. So, yeah, so, so you know, the, un, the unhappy, unfulfilled, the poor performance, whether sudden or gradual, and then that friction can be other reasons besides you just uh, you know, have a gap in your business or outgrew it. Right. And when you get into that, that kind of friction, that kind of gets back to what I hinted at earlier that, that, that I hope you'll dive into a little bit more is tell me more about what you're seeing, what you've seen as like these kind of people issues that almost trump those, uh, those process issues so often yeah. in so many of the instances that I know you get into, like what are the people issues that people are facing and, and how do you, how do you help them get to the other side of it? I mean, you said a little bit about it just now with like the org chart yeah. and things, but like, how do, how do you handle that and what, what's the issue? Yeah, yeah, great question again, thanks. So what I've found is that people don't struggle with what I'll call the technical answer. When the machine's broken, somebody knows how to fix that machine or the lines down <laughs> in manufacturing or right. how to deliver the service. If you're, if you're a consulting firm, like you know how to do your business. Those aren't the issues that, that, that uh, 60 to 70% that makes your business unique is typically not where I see people struggle. It's that 30 to 40% that's the people thing that everybody has in common. Everybody's got employees. Everybody's got customers and suppliers. Everybody faces uh, accountants and, and lawyers and bankers that they need to deal with. So there's always people involved. And it's in that 30 to 40% that's not unique is where I see the trouble because mm -hmm. uh, it's just, we, we know how to do the business part. It's the people part. And people don't come to work thinking they're going to screw things up. It's not like, you know, if by noon, I don't mess up three, at least, you know, pretty significant things. Today's going to be a washout. <laughs> Everybody's trying to right. do their best, but when you don't make it clear what good looks like, uh, you know, what, what Ken Blanchard talks about, like, what does winning look like? You got to make that clear. And then, and then if you've got the right people, they're happy to run at that target. But when you don't make that clear, they're going to do their best with what they think you want. Right. And, and the bad news is people aren't mind readers. And as much as a lot of uh, business founders that I've met expected and were disappointed right. get by upset the fact at people for not just you yeah, know, not having I, the same exact assumptions that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in my head. I don't know why you didn't know what to do. Um, so just be clear about what you're doing and why. Uh, you know, 
you know, kids are great at this. You know, why, 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 why? And we don't really outgrow that. It's not because we're always kids, but we're always people. And, and kids are people too. And we, we just have that need to say, I want this in context. So help me understand. And the beauty of that is that if you just tell them what to do, well, then if something changes in that plan, they're not going to know what to do. And then they're coming back to you all the time. They're taking a step and checking and taking a step and checking. If you say what we're trying to accomplish and why, well, now they can go a little bit further because they've got the context. They're like, oh, right. we're trying to achieve this. Right, exactly. So this didn't work, but I know what we're trying to do. So I'll, you know, it's like a detour. If you're driving somewhere and you hit a detour, you don't say, oh, well, I'll go home. Or you don't call somebody and go, hey, I'm at the detour. What, what should I do now? You go, okay, well, I still know where I'm going. I just right. need to go a different way. Um, so you know, only people can think. Machines are great. I'm a huge fan of automation. If, if you can get a repeatable task, whether that's, a process uh, for payroll, like a people kind of process that you can automate with software or in manufacturing, if you get a machine or a robot, like that's not what people were made to do. People weren't made to do this right, Repetitive, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of dehumanizing when Mindless. people need to do that. So what people are really good at is solving problems and thinking, but you gotta let them enter into the problem. You gotta share with them what you're trying to do. And, mm. and so I've just seen that that's how you get traction. You know, when you, when you let people understand what we're trying to accomplish, give them those goals and then kind of step back. I like to say, tell people what, but not the how. I think that goes back to Patton. Uh, he was a big fan of like, mm. tell, you know, tell the army the objective and then get out of the way and let them accomplish it. I found that that works really well. Now you got to have the right people. You got to have them trained. Yeah. Know, there's a lot. Right, that's a huge, that's right. It's a huge precursor <laughs> requirement. Yeah, too. yeah. But, but conceptually that's, that's what makes sense. And when you, put the people over, you know, ahead of the process and say, we're going to work on people. Uh, they'll, you know, in some cases surprise you. I, I've, I think gotten past being surprised by that. I just, I just know that we're going to unleash a lot of power uh -huh. by pulling everyone in because that's what people really want. People want to feel like they're working for something that's valuable and be part of something meaningful and have decisions to make, to be human and, and use their humanity and their brain rather than just their hand doing this all day. And so if you can make clear what we're trying to do, people will join in. Right. Now, frankly, you're going to find that some people aren't. Some people were really comfortable doing this all day right. and being there one year, 15 times. They self-select. As you truly move into this place where we're going to really focus on people and, and empower them, it's kind of an overused word, but in the right context, it's true. Uh, and we're going to really move in that direction. The people that don't really want to have to think and be part of things and kind of put themselves on the line and be accountable – they leave. They say, you know, this isn't for me anymore. And, and when I come in on project, especially if it's kind of a turnaround type project or there's some crisis that we got to, you know, there's an urgency, I'll make clear in kind of a town hall meeting that, hey, listen, this isn't going to be for everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to be moving and we're going to be moving faster than you're probably used to. And hmm. we hope everybody comes along, but we know that that's just not going to happen. Right. So, you're talking a lot about communication, I noticed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the three words I like to use a lot are communication, alignment, and engagement. You know, we got to get people aligned on the task. Let's be clear about what we're trying to do with people and then help them to engage in that and really give them autonomy. And it's all done. It's all wrapped up with communication. You just got to repeat yourself over and over. Dave Ramsey says, if your people can't do a serviceable impression of you, you haven't repeated yourself enough. Uh -huh. so, yeah, That's so, interesting. I never, I never heard that. They have, uh, yeah, there's a really cool thing that, you know, they're having with Dave Ramsey's having this big thing in, uh, in Nashville, like in May or, mm -hmm. or April or something 
with like Jim Collins and Patrick Lencioni and yeah. I don't know, like every, every single big name, I don't know, whatever, yeah. you know, I forgot all of them, but like every single big name out there is like speaking at this thing. It happens to be over a Jewish holiday, so I can't make it, but, okay. and I'm from Nashville originally, oh, so nice. that would have been a great excuse to see yeah. my parents, but okay. um, I, I'm curious about drama. Yeah. Drama that gets in people's, what, what does drama look like in organizations? How do you deal with it? Yeah, again, great question. So uh, really two parts to that is what I found to be successful. The first is, and it's another Dave Ramsey, is implementing a no gossip policy. And, and gossip is defined as talking about something negative to someone who can't fix it. So if, if you're talking to the person who's ha you're having the problem with, that's not gossip. If you're talking to your boss about a situation, that's not gossip. But talking I love to that. Host, I love that definition. I, come, yeah. I, I tell people the same thing. It's like toxic. You're talking about talking with something about something with people that can't do anything about it or can't help you. Yeah. Then, you know, if you're talking to it about somebody above you, I, you know, I tell people like the visionary, I tell them, you're talking to me, like as the integrator, the COO, are you talking to the CEO? I'm talking about the leadership level, right. you know, then great. You're just talking to each other and it's just kvetching and complaining. Like yes. Yeah. And it's poison. It really is. Yeah, and and totally. some organizations have learned to thrive on that because it's really a function of powerlessness and, and that cuts both ways because on the one hand, the organization isn't communicating goals and making winning clear what that looks like. On the other hand, you've got people who kind of thrive in that victim, like, oh, we'd be doing this, but they won't let us. Yeah. I have what I call the pronoun test that you're not allowed to say they, and I'll stop you and I'll stop you in a meeting in front of people. Oh, yeah? who, who's, who's they? Because they don't work here. Only we work here. Right. We're like, well, I mean, like the sales team. Well, then say the sales team, or, or, well, I meant Bob. Right. Well, then say Bob. Everybody, or they'll say like a lot of people think. You yeah. That's that, you ever hear that one? <laughs> oh, sure. A lot of people think. Yeah. Well, yeah. who's a lot yeah. of people? Right. Right. It's like you yeah. and one other person you spoke with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if I get this, like they won't let us, and we're trying to, you know, and we're trying to do things, but they're stopping us, and you know, we're helping, but they're hurting. Like there's a lot of victim there, and so to move past this. Um, to, to get out of that drama situation, you got to be clear. So give people what winning looks like. So if they can't say, I didn't know. Right. And, and then on the other hand, you got to self help, hope that the, the, the victims self select or else have really clear conversations with them. You know, like what, this doesn't work. You've got to start taking responsibility. Yeah, what do you mean? Like meaning, meaning wait, you talk about making it clear, making outcomes clear, making job mm -hmm. descriptions and outcomes clear. And then, uh, and then making clear this kind of no gossip policy with that definition and then when you talk about that, again, you talk about self-selecting, but if people continue to engage in that behavior and poison the environment, create a toxic environment, then you're just saying that ultimately that becomes a point at which you're giving people like warnings and, and that becomes a termination process at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and I've got a real low tolerance for all that. And you just need, and what I found is that you only need one example. As soon as somebody gets fired for gossiping and you make it clear that that's what right. happened, it just shuts down. People are like, oh, wow. this is for this is for real. This and is and right. it's unfortunate. This is not tolerated. People. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the no gossip is a big piece. The other thing is is what I learned from the dog whisperer. Um, what, what I call it, get the dogs walking. Caesar Milan teaches that if you want dogs to get along, when they're walking, that's their work, and they're super focused. And I've actually done this with dogs when we've dog sat for friends or whatever, and, and they're like, well, I don't know, our dog doesn't get along with that. I'm like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And what I do is that first time they get together, let them sniff a little bit, and then we start walking. And within a few steps, they're doing their thing. They're just moving along because they're really? walking. 
We have two dogs, and, and one yeah. of them is new. So uh, yeah, and so that's but when they're, you but when they're walking, they're working. And so in the <laughs> workplace, again, not, not to demean people like we're dogs, but just you know, apply this concept of when you Analogy. give people work, when you give them something to do that they can focus on, they kind of don't have time for all the drama. They don't have time to be complaining and gossiping and worrying. They got mm -hmm. stuff to do. So part of the reason- So big I've goals, seen, big things they could be accomplishing side by side, yeah. and they're focusing on the task at hand more so, less time for the, less time for the drama. Yeah, because again, you, people come to work, you, you gotta believe that people come to work to do their best and are trying to, to win and help and, and be productive. And when they don't have those things to do, well, then they're gonna look for an outlet and, and, and that outlet is often gossip. So part of the solution to that isn't just go, no gossip, I'm gonna fire people who got, well, you can also give them something to do so they don't have time to gossip and they're not interested in gossiping. Because I want to come to work to be productive. So if you give me something I can do, I'd much rather do that than be over here in the coffee room complaining. So right. you know, get, get, be clear about what the goals are and set some, you know, set some things out there as tasks and milestones. Get some metrics in place so we can measure and see that we're making progress. And then again, just repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, right. No gossip no, is, and here's what we're doing. Right. No, that's, uh, that's great stuff. I mean, in terms of the type of stuff that especially you as an outsider or bringing in a, you know, a COO like yourself, a fractional integrator like me, <clears throat> uh, you know, bringing in these people from the outside, they could see that stuff, they could maybe be a little bit more obje objective and not mm -hmm. kind of so in the context that they can't really see what's going on. Yeah. You know, can come in and help people get beyond the drama with some of that, you know, focusing on outcomes, focusing on staying busy with a shared task, working side by side, obviously, you know, having a no tolerance policy for gossip, talking about things with people who can't help it. Right. And you talk about that process stuff and, you know, and that problem solving stuff about just having someone on board who's been there and done that, but not having to go into this huge investment and process of having to find somebody full time. Right. And then you can find that person while, while you have this fractional right. COO or fractional right. leader. Yeah. So, and I'll help you do that because I don't want to be here yeah. forever either. You know, I, I want to move so on. So I do with my clients. I, I interviewed my full time integrator replacements. Right. That's, Absolutely. that's what I consider a successful engagement. Yeah. Uh, is, is get them to the point where they've scaled big enough. I mean, sometimes, you know, again, sometimes it's an issue of you just lost somebody and you're, and you're, and you're coming in to fill a seat that was suddenly vacant. But sometimes, like you said, it's where they're not big enough or they can't afford somebody full-time anyway. Yeah. So get them to where they could scale big enough and then help them find your full-time replacement or, uh, or, 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 or get them turned around or whatever it is through a period of time and then find that full-time replacement. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge value and that's why I wanted to, why I wanted to bring you on. So I really appreciate all that stuff that you're able to share today. Sure. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, definitely my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so I appreciate that. Hopefully people can, I mean, I know people learn a lot from this. Maybe obviously they could reach out to you, kentrupke.com. Mm -hmm. Got that right? Yeah. Kentrupke.com, T-R-U-P-K-E, kentrupke.com. Uh, or, uh, you know, or, you know, what, you know, or find someone or find someone like you, like me, like, you know, doing the kind of stuff that we do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great resource. And if it's, if it's a right fit for people, I know, I know that they will have learned a lot from that, from listening to to you, to you today, Ken. So thank you so much. appreciate you coming out. Yeah. You're welcome, Ben. Uh, My pleasure. And we'll see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.